Hello there, listener. Welcome to this week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm personal trainer, wellness coach, and positive psychology practitioner, Darlene Marshall, and your host. And I've been thinking a lot about friendship lately. I've got really amazing friends now, but you know, to be honest, that wasn't always the case. It's something that I've struggled with in the past. I've had some rough times in the friendship department. And I know there's a lot of people that I communicate with over the course of the week who feel the same, that things have happened in their lives that have really disrupted their friendship game. And there were times in my life that I told myself, you know what? I don't need anybody. I need my mind. I need my work. Friendship is just gravy. You know, it's, it's for fun. It's not, it doesn't have to be deep. It doesn't have to be meaningful. And honestly, now I'm at a place in my life that I look at that time and I think, well, silly me thinking that you know things and that really you didn't kid. Fortunately, I had some excellent real, real friends that really stuck with me through that path and through that time in my life. And really, honestly, it was studying positive psychology that changed my mind, not because of all of the studies I was reading at the time, because of the people. If you've never been in a room with positive psychology practitioners, like find a way to get into that room, because what you will find is they are the nicest, most genuine, most giving group of people that you have ever met in your entire life. And that was my experience. And a lot of times in the positive psychology world, we'll talk about the idea of experiential learning, that you don't learn because you read it in a textbook, you learn because you felt it. And for me with the friendship thing, like shout out to my positive psychology friends, you know who you are. It was the experience of knowing them that changed my mind literally about other people. I can't stress that enough. I can't express that enough. I can't thank them enough. And I have tried. Certainly they have heard me wax poetic about how much I love them. So they taught me about the quality and value of friendship based off of how they treated me, how they welcomed me and how they encouraged me to grow. Now this study, and this is a study episode, you know, I love these studies episodes. If you are new to the Better Than Fine podcast, first off, welcome. I'm really glad you're here. I hope I hope that you hear, feel the warmth of the friendship thing coming off of me. But also, once a month-ish, we've been breaking down studies on relevant topics to wellness and well-being. And this study is hot off the presses. It is from November of 2023. I'm recording this in January of 2024. And can I just geek out for just a second that I think it is super, super cool to live in a time that I can turn around and look at studies that are that new. So if you're new to the science game, let me clue you in on how this used to work. It used to be that a researcher would get their work published in a print journal that journal would be mailed to whoever subscribed to it. If you happen to be lucky enough to be part of an institution that had subscriptions for you, you'd have access to a lot more things. Um, but that meant you had a physical journal catalog in your hand that you then have to peruse. Now, it doesn't work like that at all. I learned about this study through social media. Uh, I don't remember which feed it was, but it popped up in my feed and I got really excited. And you're going to hear about why in just a second. But it's super neat 
that anybody, anybody who is scientifically literate could go off and read this study and draw your own conclusions. And that is really incredible. All the time we talk about the challenges, the negatives of the internet and social media and our phones, but the, the ability to access information like this that quickly to collaborate across the planet and across time, that's magic. And that's so new in the human experience. So anyway, wax poetic about that, geek out about that. Let's get back to what we're actually here for in the episode today, which is to take a look at a study on friendship and health. So the title of the study is United We Thrive, Friendship and Subsequent Physical, Behavioral, and Psychosocial Health in Older Adults, Parentheses, an Outcome-Wide Longitudinal Approach. Whew, that is a mouthful. Uh, this study was published through Cambridge University Press, November 15th of 2023. That wasn't even three months ago. That is amazing. Okay, let's, let's start by breaking down the title. If you've heard me do these episodes before, you know I like to break down the title because there's often a lot of information about the study, just even right there in the top. So one of the funny things I think is, is, is cool about this is these quippy um, zinger titles have been making more and more the rounds in like the social media age. I really appreciate humor and science. I think we don't need to take ourselves too seriously. So United We Thrive is cute, right? United We Thrive. I'm all about that. But then this next chunk, friendship and subsequent physical, behavioral, and psychosocial health in older adults. Well, that tells us that we're looking at health outcomes over time in friendship, which is cool, right? I think that's neat that we can gather a big enough data pool that we can look at that kind of outcome relationship. And then this last bit, an outcome-wide longitudinal approach. You know, I wasn't familiar with outcome-wide longitudinal approaches, so I had to go off and do some digging. And what I found is the reason I'm not familiar with it is actually pretty new. This kind of study design was just proposed in 2020. So I think it's also really neat that the speed of information is increasing. So outcome-wide longitudinal design is comes out of the social sciences. And to be honest, the, the deep dive into what it is is just super duper duper nerdy. It's how you design the data analysis part of a longitudinal study. Now, if you don't remember, months ago we did an episode on, on longitudinal studies and we kind of looked at this idea. A longitudinal study is when you get a big data set of a ton of people and you look at change over time at specific time intervals. So outcome-wide longitudinal design allows you to make inferences about cause with lower researcher bias. So a lot of times in these big longitudinal studies and these big data sets, the, 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 the scientist, the researcher is gonna have subconscious biases and they can design how they manipulate the data to kind of make it say lots of different things. This is part of the problem we have in these big data sets, right? If you've ever had that feeling that like, ah, oh, you can find a statistic for everything, this is part of why. And so 
This outcome-wide longitudinal design approach reduces the biases and it allows us to draw more of a causal relationship in how it's actually designed. That's as far as I'm going to go into it because like I said, it's super duper nerdy. It's like some deep eyeballs, nerd level deep in statistics and, and design. <laughs> and uh, I think it wouldn't make a very exciting episode and it's not really what we're here for, but that's okay. So that's just what the title tells us so far, that we're looking at the relationship between friendship and health behaviors and then outcomes in a huge pool of data. Now you might be wondering how huge. If you've listened to me talk about other uh, studies, you've heard me critique small studies, right? Like 20 people, 50 people, maybe 100. How could that possibly represent millions of people all over the world or all over a country if it's just like 20 undergrads, right? This study is almost 13,000 people, 12,998. Guess they couldn't have found two more. <laughs> so the data set comes from the health and retirement study, which is a data pool that's meant to be nationally representative of Americans over 50, and they track them over at four year increments. And so this study has been going on, I think since 2006. And every four years, the study participants get a survey. Sometimes they collect physiological data and that allows us to have this huge data pool to draw inference from. So the flaw in this is that because it's a survey study, it's subjective, right? Like I'm gonna gauge in me what's going on with me but the pro is huge group, tons of data points. So we can generate correlation, right? We know things are related, but not necessarily causal. We don't know why. So these types of studies are really great for developing theories and then often end with, but we need further research, right? Because they're just longitudinal. They're just huge data sets. They're highly subjective. We need to figure out what's going on, okay? So this research, these researchers wanted to look at friendship strength. So if I'm a person, do I have good relationships? How strong are those relationships? How meaningful are they to me? And then what's the relationship between that and my lifestyle behaviors, the actual actions I take in my life and health outcomes mentally and physically? So real quick rundown of the results. Are you ready? Stronger friendships, the people who had stronger friendships, they live longer, they move their body more, they're happier, they have more resilience, they have a lower risk for depression, which if you know anything about older adults, depression is a major risk factor for older adults. But there are some downsides too. And you're going to hear about all those downsides in just a second. That's just the top of the page. We haven't even made it past what's called the abstract, which is essentially like a too long didn't read at the top of a, a whole study. And studies can be dozens of pages, but you get the little TLDR at the top to decide, do I really care about this? You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall, and we're looking at friendship, health behavior, and health outcomes, longevity. What's the relationship between how we approach our relationships and how we end up health-wise in later life? 
So next, all studies weigh the groundwork for the context that the study itself is happening in. And that's called a literature review. And our study that we're looking at today has three factors in the literature review. Let's break those down. The first is just the recognition that social connection is good for health and well-being. And so this literature review is like, yeah, having strong relationships, generally we know good for her health outcomes. Yahtzee, check the box. The second factor in the lit review is, is the recognition that our population is rapidly aging without a backfill. So if you think of our population distribution like a bell curve, the boomers skewed the whole population young when they were young because it was a huge population boom, right? It's like you know, the two and a half kids was the average. So it was more than people replacing them in America. And then Gen X was about the same size, a little bit smaller than the boomers. And millennials, we were smaller than Gen X. So as the boomers have shifted into their later life, it's been like a wave cresting, passing. And now backfill Gen Z and then Gen Alpha, who is the gen after them, are even smaller. So we're hitting this population crest of wave with the boomers. And now the number of people over 65 in the United States is projected to increase by 50% over the next 50 years. It's a huge skew of the bell curve. It's getting top heavy. And generally, people who look at population level data are saying, one, this is happening all over the planet. And two, that the total human population is about to peak. And then we're going to see a big decline. And there's lots of reasons that that's going to happen. But relevant to our research today is that we know, we know that relationships are important. We know that people are getting older, right? So when we talk about well-being, the well-being of older people is really relevant if the population is shifting that way. And then our third factor is what's labeled as a friendship recession. In a 2021 nationwide survey, half of the people who responded said they have three or fewer close friends. Let me break that down one more time. 51% of people who bothered to respond to this nationwide survey had less, three friends or less. That's pretty significant when we consider how important social connection is to well-being. But what this study is looking at is how important is social connection to health and health outcomes? Let's keep it moving. So the lit review also covered that traditional medical models look at um, identifying risk factors. So does this person have a risk factor for high blood pressure? Do they smoke? Do they eat, I don't know, trans fats and highly processed foods, right? All of these are risk factors, risk factors for cancer. And then public health tries to mitigate those risk factors. Now, if you don't anything about positive psychology and wellness, if you've ever listened to this show before, you know that the absence of the bad is not the same as the presence of the good. So just mitigating risk factors is not a well-being lens on things, right? Like that's the old way of thinking. So the good news is that now public health people are catching up to us positive psychology people and there's this shift going on toward something that I had never heard this term before. I love this term, health 
assets, health assets. So instead of looking at risk factors, we're going to, how do we accumulate health assets? Kind of like finances. And to me, when I read the list of health assets, it sounded an awful lot like resilience factors, which is something out of positive psychology. What are the things that make us more resilient? What are our health factors and how do we get more of them? So accumulating health factors helps us to maintain our resilience as we age and move through our lifespan. Now, shifting gears for just a second, coming out of this literature review, looking at the research on loneliness, loneliness increases our risk for, it's a 50% increase in risk for Alzheimer's, a 29% increase in risk for coronary heart disease, and a 26% increase in what's called premature mortality, which is essentially like you died before the average of your lifespan for your age and sexual, biological sex. Now flip that the other way, right? Because the absence of bad, not the same as the presence of the good. Having more aspects of high quality friendships increases psychological health. We can measure that through life satisfaction, lower depression, well-being, health behaviors. So things like going to the doctor, moving your body more, eating better, and having good friends actually increases your physical health. Not just that it mitigates mortality, but you actually tend to be healthier. So maybe you're familiar with the idea of social network theory. And even if you aren't familiar with that phrase, all right, you're probably familiar with the platitude that like you are a combination of the 10 closest people to you. So be careful with picking who your friends are or something like that. Uh, that platitude actually comes directly out of social network theory which is the scientific evidence that the people around us, their habits shift our habits. Um, so we like sponge up the behavior of the people we spend time with. So that platitude is actually accurate for a lot of people. Not everyone has this problem, but a lot of people. So if the people that were around work out, we're more likely to work out. If the people that were around eat vegetables, we're more likely to eat vegetables. So we know that social network theory could be good or bad, right? If they if they smoke, we're more likely to smoke. Now, there's the, this is where the hypothesis of the researchers comes in. How much do the high-quality friendships not only affect our behavior, but affect the longer-term outcomes of those behaviors? Which is neat. And I'm excited to dive in to this data with you. I think it's really cool. So I mentioned they use the health and retirement study. That looked at data at three time points. So the start of the study, and then four years later, and another four years after that. And to measure friendship, our researchers looked at three things that they combined into a friendship score. So it was how many close friends do you have, how frequently you're in contact with those people, and then can you rate how much support or how much strain that friendship puts on you? And those three things together created a friendship score. Next, we're going to dive into what does that score actually tell us? You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall, and we're looking at a study on friendship, health behaviors, and long-term health 
outcomes? How does friendship skew not only our behavior, but our actual mental, physical, and emotional health? Which is just cool that we can get all of that information out of surveys, right? Across tens of thousands of people across a decade. It's neat. Okay, so friendship score. You ready? Three factors in the friendship score. How many friends you got? How frequently are you in contact with them in person or on the phone? Doesn't have to just be hanging out. And how supportive are those friends? How close, how helpful are those friends? Now, when that friendship score increased, you ready? A 24% decrease in all-cause mortality. All-cause mortality is essentially you died right? It's just the science word for death is all cause mortality. Every reason a person could pass. Having more friends, communicating with them more often and getting more support from them, a 24% decrease in all cause mortality. That is incredible. A 19% decrease in the risk of stroke. So you're less likely to have a stroke if you have good friends. Now, also increased in self-reported health. So like, I think I'm healthy. And increases in physical activity. People with friends tend to move their body more. Maybe because they're going out and doing stuff. They're getting dragged to go to places. Uh, let's go dancing. Let's go hiking. Even if you, oh, fine, I'll go with you. Yeah. So you move more because you got friends. All very cool. And across the board, psychological outcome, well-being outcomes improved. You ready? So better mood, more satisfaction, better optimism, purpose in life, a sense of self-efficacy, health mastery, financial mastery, lower depression, improved hopelessness, lower bad mood, like all of it. Mentally and emotionally better across the board. That's kind of a duh, right? Like we'd all expect that. All that sounds really great. But here's the rub. This little nugget, the next thing I'm going to say is why I was so interested in this study and what it had to say and why I wanted to share it with you. A higher friendship score resulted in a 43% increase in the likelihood of smoking and a 48% increase in drinking. So let me let's run that by you again. Having Higher quality friendships, more friendships, increase the likelihood that you would smoke by over 40%, increase the likelihood that you would drink alcohol more frequently, binge drinking episodes, more volume by almost half, but you're happier, you live longer, you're less likely to have a stroke, you think you're more healthy and you're more active. I think that's wild. I think that's such an interesting tension and dichotomy between Increase of risk factors that we're all taught to focus on not doing, but you're happier, you live longer, and you're healthier. I think it's wild. So sure, you're doing some naughty stuff that you're like, shame, shame, not supposed to do. But you're happier for it. You're having more fun with your friends. You're going out and doing cool stuff, and you live longer. That sounds pretty good to me. So that's the study. That's really the core of it right there. And at this point, we all know that friendship's good for us, right? Like Corey Mascara, who's been on the show before, he's a positive psychology practitioner. He's a meditation guy. He's a lifestyle guy. Um, he likes to say that positive psychology is grandmother's wisdom with science. I think that's such a great line. Um, 
but this is what your grandma would tell you. Like, kiddo, you need friends. And you do. We all do. And so this got me thinking a lot about where we put our emphasis on public health and well-being and meaning and the focus that is often about all the things that we're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to be smoking. You're not supposed to be excessively drinking. You're not supposed to be eating too much sugar or whatever. And sure, you're not. Like those things are not good for a human. But so often we're focused on all the things we're avoiding that we're not focused on all the things that could actually be building us up and make life worth living. And if you've been listening to the show or you've been following me on social media, you know that I have a friend who's not doing very well. And that's part of why I've been thinking about friendship so much. They're at the end of their life. And to be thinking about the things that I want to put in my life, however many days and weeks I get left, and one of them is friends, the people that make my life worth living. Now, the challenge is that so many adults struggle to make and keep and nurture lasting friendships. And so what I want to challenge anybody who works in the social sciences, who works in well-being, if we spent less time focused on all the things that everybody's doing wrong and better ways to come up with helping people to meaningfully connect and make and nurture friendships, that would be time well spent. I want to see more adult playgrounds. I don't know, chances for people over 40 to make meaningful connections. Um, adult living situations that people actually want to be part of. Instead of our big focus on, you know, like, let's tax soda more. And I'm not knocking those nudges, though we could go down the rabbit hole of how flawed nudge theory is. How do we actually make meaningful opportunities for adults to create friendships, to create bonding opportunities where they feel seen, that they know they matter and they know they belong. Because that feeling that I had being part of the positive psychology community and still have, don't get me wrong, um, the shift that it created and how I see the world, how I connect to the world and how I share my own resources was massive. And I want that for everybody at a moment that so many people feel isolated. They feel like they're not understood and they're not cared about and for. We can definitely do better. And we also know it's actually more impactful than getting those people to, I don't know, cut back on smoking and drinking. Because if you know that you are loved and cared for, you take better care of yourself. And now we've got research to prove it. I would love to hear your feedback. I'd love to hear your pushback if you have any. I just threw some things out. The gauntlet has been thrown about friendship and well-being interventions. So let's do it. Uh, email me. It's info at darlene.coach. I'm on Instagram. That is also darlene.coach. My substack is betterthanfine.substack.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, of course. And if you're a fan of the show, I hope that you've already subscribed. Sharing is caring. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, please. Leave your comments with your questions. Write us a review. Thank you. Take care of yourselves and be well. Thank you.